Welcome to the Great Loop Radio Podcast, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, we're taking on a topic that one of our listeners submitted. They were wondering what kind of an average day on the Great Loop is like, and also what a really fantastic day on the Great Loop is like, and also what a stressful day on the Great Loop is like. So I'm going to bring in Michael shortly, and we're going to tackle that as it pertains to our own Great Loop. Before I do that, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And I'm going to go ahead and play a message from one of our new sponsors first, and then we'll jump into today's conversation. The LAD product line offers stress-free, restful nights while you are away from your boat. LAD is an independent, self-controlled device that continuously monitors your boat's list, position, and more. Your LAD will send you an alert via text and email from anywhere in the world of a potential problem on your vessel. When connected to the boat network, LAD will also monitor bilge pumps, refrigerator, battery voltage, shore power disconnect, intruder alarm, smoke, fire, and more. Set your own alerts, add alert recipients, geofence, and track your vessel's position via a secure online map page. LAD never sleeps, so you can. Please visit www.ladalert.com for more information. We're back on the Great Loop Radio podcast. I have Michael Martin here with me. And for those of you who watch this on YouTube, you're not seeing us. I've decided to go ahead and run some of our photos from our Great Loop. So uh, that's why you're not seeing us. But Michael is here with me. Hi, Michael. Thanks for joining us. And for those of you who don't know Michael, um, he is a platinum looper. He did his first loop and a half solo with the help of crew here and there. And, and that was before we got together. And now we have done, he f earned his platinum burgee, which means he crossed his wake for the second time in Chicago during our loop. And I am a few hundred miles away from earning my gold for my first crossing. So we're here in Panama City Beach where we've been for a bit and we'll kind of update you on our trip, I think a little bit later in this podcast. But as I said in the intro, we had a suggestion from a listener that we cover kind of the standard day on the loop and what makes a fantastic day on the loop and what's kind of a stressful day on the loop. So I thought uh, with the two of us having come this far in the loop together, we could, we could handle this topic, I think. <laughs> um, so let's start off. Let, let's start out with the good stuff, Michael. What are some of your thoughts on, you know, what makes for a really great day on the loop? I would have to say that, and it, it probably plays in a little bit more towards the normal day of the loop, but it is the best day of the loop is when nothing goes wrong. When you have a very unex un uneventful day that, you know, you hit all the marks, the boat runs well, um, that that to me is a good day. Um, but it, it does kind of border on a normal day. Um, some of the the one thing that I can remember, um, because I've been with the Great Loop Association since 2013, I always wanted to have my boat at Joe Wheeler for the rendezvous. And in 2017, I was able to take my boat to the rendezvous and have a slip and, you know, stay on my boat instead of the lodge. And that was that was probably one of the best days that I can remember on that loop. Um, obviously, having done my loop uh, somewhat single handed the first time, 
um, and have crew on and off. I mean, I had great times with my sister and things like that um, allowed me to catch up with, you know, people that I might, might not have um, spent as much time with, but um Makes sense. <laughs> um, I, I would agree that a lot of what you said is probably kind of the typical day on the loop, at least we all hope so, right? Um, some of what I would identify as like a, a really great day on the loop are when all of those things happen, mechanically, whether everything's sound, but also that something a little bit out of the ordinary happens. So maybe some of the things that you're looking forward to, like reaching the Statue of Liberty and having that photo op or um, you know, getting to a town and walking around and being just really blown away by what you find there, because it might be a small town you've never heard of and didn't expect to have such a lovely time just walking around the streets and to see so much. Or seeing dolphin play in your wake is always high up yep. on my list and makes for it, you know, makes for a great day. So I, I would say the best days are when you reach the milestones um, and when something unexpectedly pleasant happens. And there really are a lot of those. So Absolutely. it's pretty fortunate yeah. to experience that on the Great Loop. Yeah. Um, let's also talk about the most stressful days. And I think if we talk about the days that we've cruised together, and if we had to name the specific day, I think we'd both have the same days <laughs> that were the most stressful. Yep. And honestly, the most stressful days are not a full day of stress, thankfully. No. It's usually the most stressful moments, but I'll let you go ahead it's, it's first. A burst of stress. Yes. <laughs> yes. And sometimes that burst of stress is several minutes long, a couple, of, you know, maybe up to an hour, but it's usually not the whole day. Yeah. And we had a gold looper once. I've never really loved this description, but it kind of fits in some ways. I had a gold looper tell me it's long stretches of boredom followed by moments of terror. And that, of course, is an exaggeration. But yes, on an average day, things just kind of flow and go the right way. And then when something does go wrong, hopefully it's not a ma major catastrophe. Um, right. But yeah, you do have those moments where your heart's pumping. So go ahead yeah. and tell you, tell us what gets you into that stressful mode and you have the minutes or not even usually hours, no, but a period of stress. What causes that for you? Me, there's only two real, in my, in my experience, there's only been really two, two causes of a really bad day. And that's either operator error, which we're all suspect to, um, and of course, weather, which we can't control. So one of those things we can always try to do better and so that we don't make our days bad. Um, but some things are just going to happen and, and you have to you have to kind of accept that as, you know, the the passage, rite of passage to do this. Um, and again, the, the saying is that if if it's a looper and they say they've never gone aground, they've probably never done the loop. So um, my two, my worst day came on my first loop um, and it was operator error. I was coming across Lake Oneida up in the New York area and um, long day of single handing. I think I was pushing eight or 10 hours of single handing. Home stretch was in sight. I could see the marina for the most part. It was less than a mile away. And I just took my eyes off of the chart and was following the markers in. And unbeknownst to me, the markers were not in their location at, at, in early spring yet as where they should have been. And uh, I came across a rock pile and, you know, took out $15,000 worth of damage to my boat. So um, going back and looking at my track, absolutely avoidable. But 
things certainly do happen. And when you're tired or exhausted or, you know, end of a long day, they certainly can happen very easily. Um, on our loop, we, we did run aground uh, very briefly leaving Demopolis this, this time down. And that was a little, it was still operator error in some degree, maybe not me as the operator, maybe it was the tugboat as the operator. Um, <laughs> but uh, we were going to pass a tow and the tow told us to pass him on the one. So I moved over and immediately went from 20 feet of water to six feet of water and struck something and uh, wire, you know, radioed the tow to make sure he knew that, you know, I was, had stalled an engine and was restarting. And, you know, if he needed to take action that he was at least warned and he said, Oh yeah, there was a rock shelf over there. So <laughs> yes, it was still my, my doing, but um, I would have loved to have that information up front. Well, obviously I was there for the second encounter you're talking about there. And um, perhaps it's because of our different roles on the boat but that was not one of my most stressful days because I knew we were okay. I knew we had buddy boats around. Um, you know, I knew we could limp back to Demopolis on one engine if we needed to, which we didn't. Um, and I knew we had spare props from the first time. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew even if we needed to change some out, it wasn't going to be a real long delay. Yeah. Nobody buys spare props just to have spare props. You have <laughs> spare props probably because you needed them. But so that was a short delay and and we were back on our way and, you know, thankfully not overly costly, um, but probably my most stressful days. And again, not the whole day, just small periods um, were on this loop and they were more weather related than uh, human error or even mechanical related. And it was wind. And I think while we're cruising up, you know, wind the and tide. wind and tide. Um, cruising up the intracoastal waterway, you know, obviously if you're doing a big crossing, you're, you're very laser focused on picking the right weather window. Um, but a lot of people, us included occasionally, um, don't put enough, um, emphasis on what the wind will do while you are trying to dock. And we had two pretty rough dockings, um, that were very stressful early on in our adventure, um, that you know with no wind it would have been a perfect cruising day but the wind made docking quite an adventure uh so you know is that avoidable probably there are some this has been a very windy year the time we've been on the loop and if we waited for the wind you know when the water conditions were fine if we waited for the wind to also be under 10 knots i think we'd still be in florida somewhere on the east <laughs> coast where we started from um we have had a lot of very windy days and sometimes that has made docking a challenge um even for somebody who's got 10,000 miles under uh the keel like michael does so um you know, practice, I think, can help with that. Well, and I, I will say both both of the two days I think you're thinking of, which is Beaufort, South Carolina and Staten Island, New York, um, were very windy days. And my the norm, I guess, for most loopers is to back into a slip. And that should be an indication if you can't get it into the slip the first time backing it in or maybe the second time, I would always opt now to bow in because you have so much more control bowing in than you do backing in and things can happen a lot quicker bowing in um but kim will kim will finish the story with what happened on those days but well i mean other than the fact that it was an ugly docking we did arrive safe um i don't even think there's any didn't hit new... anything 
than anything. I don't think there was any new boo-boos on the boat from those two incidents. But um, that said, there's always an audience when you're having that kind of day. Um, and the only thing I would add, um, one of the things that I think contributed to the situation in Staten Island was that we had been on a mooring ball the night before. Um, we were literally moving from the mooring ball into a slip in the marina. We could see it. Um, so we weren't focused on what the weather was doing. Um, and, and I've seen other other boaters make mistakes when it's a real short thing like that. You don't go through your normal preparations. Um, I think we could have had a little bit of a better situation there if we had pre-talked through like we would in an, you know, uh, a longer day of cruising and then pulling into a dock, had a plan um, and had some definites of what we were going to do. Um, and for me, the more stressful inc incident incidents on our loop have always been related to me not feeling prepared. And that was part of it that day on Staten Island with the wind. And we had a big looper audience at that one. <laughs> <laughs> but it happens and it, you know, everybody was safe, including the other boats. Yep. <laughs> so that's kind of, you know, I, I think the it's impossible to avoid the stress for the whole loop. Um, being focused on the weather and, you know, knowing your capabilities. If you are new to handling your boat, perhaps staying at, you know, not moving when you know that the wind is going to be 15 knots this afternoon is probably a good call. Um, and then, you know, for me, it's the preparedness, thinking through what's going to happen, thinking through what I need to have in my hands, thinking through what I know Michael's going to want, having our headsets on. Um, I don't think we did in Staten Island because, again, we were just kind of yeah. moving an eighth of a mile. So yeah. um, preparedness is key. Just didn't follow our normal routine. Yep. And, of course, you know, the whole mission here for most loopers is to avoid those stressful days. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about kind of that average day. And the average day, you know, I would say is when none of those stressful things happen. At least we hope that that's the average day for most of you. So, so as I said, preparedness helps with that. So we're going to take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. But when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about how you prepare yourself for the standard day of cruising so that you are ready and hopefully you can avoid some of those stressful situations. So we'll be back in a moment. Welcome aboard What Yacht to Do. Sam and Rev have completed two loops with videos of each trip on YouTube. Now their goal is to help you prepare for your trip. Their services include online courses, coaching, training, and boat delivery. You can prepare for the loop from the comfort of your own home with their online introductory courses. You get a digital workbook and a way to interact and ask questions. You'll even receive a certificate of completion. Go now and sign up for our free newsletter at whatyachttodo.com or greatloopacademy.com, and they'll send you some free boating goodies. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Michael Martin. We are at the tail end of our Great Loop, and uh, we are chatting today at the request of one of our listeners about kind of, you know, some of the expectations on the loop of what you can expect from a really good day and a really stressful day, and then what just kind of a standard day on the loop is. Uh, so we usually start, I usually actually start the planning by kind of deciding where I'd like to go. Uh, Michael has been around the loop before, as as I said, so he's really looked to me more to say where I would like to be. If he's got some favorites from the last time around, he'll point those out. Um, like most loopers, kind of the average um, mileage for the day, most people plan based on a 50 mile day. And that 
seems to end up the average. Sometimes you'll have a 20 mile day and sometimes you'll have a 70 mile day. But if you start from like, we're going to go 50 miles today or tomorrow, we usually do it the night before, where does that put us? And then plus or minus a few to kind of work that out to be where we want to be. For us, um, 50 miles is a little bit on the short side for a day, I, I would think. Um, I haven't figured out our average per day, but we... Um, generally cruise between eight and 10 knots. We both work full-time aboard. So being off the water water in five or six hours is ideal. So that that's kind of what we found to be our sweet spot. So once I've kind of said, I'd like to go to Beaufort, North Carolina, uh, Michael kind of takes it from there. And why don't you kind of just give us the run through of what you do to plan that five or six hour cruise. Typically, since I use Navionics almost exclusively, and I, I use Navionics on three different devices, um, I use uh, a tablet for my main primary navigation because that's what I'm doing when I'm planning the route the night before sitting down in the salon um, is, is everything on the tablet. Um, I could throw it over to my chart plotter, but the tablet is just, I'm more comfortable with the tablet. It's It's something that I'm very um, acquainted with, and you know, you don't you don't use a chart plotter near as much as you use your tablet or phone. So I usually just use the the tablet. Um, I always have my chart plotter running at the same time. Obviously, that's my my fail safe or backup. Um, and then I typically have my phone running Navionics as well. But I'll use my phone typically to look up bridges or marinas or things like that, where I don't want to interrupt my tablet, you know, or, or pick up my tablet. I just, you pick up my phone and let the tablet keep going. Um, as I said, I usually do a route planning the night before, if I know where Kim's decided we're going to go. Um, I do an auto route in navigate in Navionics, where you basically say I'm here and I want to go there and it plans out the route for you. Um, I have had, now that this is my third time around, I have had several instances with Navionics where I didn't like where it was sending me or how it was sending me. Not a lot, just a few, but enough that I wouldn't have wanted to be underway and realized, oh, I don't want to go down this channel or you know something along those lines. Um, so I, I do the auto route. I believe in Navionics, but I don't trust it fully. So I literally zoom in and I, I scroll through the entire route to make sure that it's taking me where I want to be. And if I do see something where, you know, I, I feel that a different route is better, I can then adjust that route on the fly um, while I'm, while I'm scrolling through it and resave it so that when we're on the actual route the next day, I'm, I'm not surprised by anything. Um, I do also tend to look a little bit, not, not, I'm also a licensed pilot. So um, if you're, if you're in the pilot industry, you always have a backup of where you're going to land if something goes wrong or any, anything like that. Um, I do try to do that on, on the boat as well by looking, you know, if we have engine trouble, where would we stop between here and there? Or if we dinged something, or if we're having a good day, where's our next stop past where we wanted to go? If, if we, you know, we're just going to go to anchor or something. So I do try to look a little bit further out. Um, I, I always check as I'm scrolling through bridge heights, if we're going to be going under bridges and what the frequencies are, just so that I have a, you know, it's in my memory somewhere and I can, you know, bring it back as needed. Um, but I always want to know what the bridge situation is. 
I want to know how many locks are in my way, how big they are, if we're going up or down. Um, I do also look at the weather uh, for the day to see what that's going to potentially do to us in a lock, whether it's going to blow us off the wall, blow us into the wall, spin us all over the place, whatever the case may be. Um, tides, uh, obviously going up the East Coast, we've got some pretty severe tide shifts in the Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina area um, where you have to be aware of, you know, at noon, which, you know, is probably four or five hours into our trip. If we're low tide, what's around us? How how deep's the water? What's the you know where are we going to run into pinch points in that regards? Um, those are the those are kind of the things that I focus on, and and try to do on a on a normal basis just to make sure that I've got all the eyes dotted and t's crossed. Yeah, a couple of things I would add to that. One thing. I think we both learned along the way about Navionics. Um, you know, of course, you set your um, boat's draft in there so it can route you appropriately. And somewhere along the way, we got a tip that made a whole lot of sense. Um, we set our boat's draft to pretty well deeper than it actually is. And we had found that there were a couple of instances where um, Navionics was routing us to somewhere that we could make it through um, with enough depth, but it was going to be a little tight when there was another option that gave us a few more feet of water um, as, as just another way we could go at that point. And we discovered, you know, we draw about four feet, I guess we round to, um, but by setting that in Navionics to like six, um, it chose, or even 10, it chose some better, some options we liked better along the way by just kind of faking it out that way a little bit. Um, the other thing I do while Michael does all that planning, when we're underway, I am also using, and he that all that information he's talking about, he's getting from Navionics, but I'll bring up Waterway Guide. It's similar information, but when I know there's a lock coming, I will look at Waterway Guide to see what kind of um, ties they have for us to, you know, is it a floating bollard? Is it a weighted line? Because we handle those differently, and I like to be prepared for that since I'm the one generally handling um, the lines in the locks. So I like to look for things like that. Um, you know, as, as a lot of loopers are kind of on the East coast of Florida right now, there are lots of bridges you'll be waiting for. So plan your departure around when the, if it's a timed opening, not on demand, plan your departure around that. Um, we also look at things, you know, like, I think Michael mentioned tides like in Georgia and South Carolina, um, the current runs so quickly in some of those areas because of the big tidal change that a lot of loopers plan their comings and goings at the dock around slack current because it just takes one of those factors out of the equation that could be pushing the boat in a direction you don't want to be. So all those go into kind of that that daily planning. Um, and then the biggest piece is the weather and kind of the status quo. The way we do that is we each have different weather apps that are, are our go-to. We look at them um, and, you know, see if they agree. If they don't, sometimes we do more research or we simply don't go. But we do have the rule that a lot of loopers do that it only takes one weather veto or any reason veto mm -hmm. for that matter on our boat for us not to go anywhere that day. And Margo doesn't get a vote. Margo, the parrot does not have a, a vote. We'd probably, again, still be right where we started if it was up to her. <laughs> um, but so then once you've done that pre-planning, in my opinion, that's what makes it a regular day on the loop. You know, stress-free unless you make a mistake or um, weather does something unexpected. Um, and then you really do have that peace of mind to 
enjoy the cruising and to look for those unexpected things. I mean, you may see eagles on the shoreline. You may see deer crossing the water. You know, even when you're not expecting one of those milestone moments, uh, having all the rest of your ducks in a row gives the freedom in your mind to actually just sit back and breathe and enjoy the trip. As I said, we both work aboard. So a lot of times during those quieter moments underway, I've got my laptop out. Uh, not ideal. I'd love to do this again when I don't have that. Um, I'm not tied to my laptop quite as much, um, but a, a standard day on the loop, and so many loopers say this, you're busy all day, but it's really hard to tell you what we're exactly doing the whole day. One of us, of course, is is driving the boat, and in our case, that is usually Michael, although I can drive it and have driven it and Absolutely. can back it into a slip, um, and that's really important for everybody on board to feel comfortable enough to at least put the boat onto a T-head if something happens to the primary um, captain of the boat um, that will also make it a little more stress-free um anything else um we talked about you know being prepared and al along with that goes you know making sure our headsets are charged because we do use yeah. them for docking and locking uh, making sure we have the lines and fenders and gloves and all the things we need um it does take some time for this to become routine mm -hmm. Um, and I would say, and I never actually knew this, but doing the loop myself, I would say it takes a couple of months at least to really get into that group when you're moving yeah. the boat constantly. And I've talked to lots of other people while we've been out here and people have shared that, that there is a steep learning curve. And if if this is not something you're hundred percent comfortable with, you will be out of your comfort zone for a little while until you do reach that comfort level. But having these procedures and being prepared, I think, can really help with that so that the standard, quote unquote, boring day <laughs> is really kind of what you're looking for yep. while you're doing all this. Anything to well, add and, to that? And this is not flying or going to the moon. I mean, we're not moving at light speed. We're moving typically at eight to 10 knots. Um, so it does it does provide you a little bit more time to be doing to, to not be under that stressful, you know, condition. Um, you know, typically we're, we're not on plane. We're not going fast. We're, we're just, you know, meandering along, enjoying the day. Um, so, you know, it, it's, yes, it, there is a learning curve. Yes. You, you will, you know, find your groove and, and it will come to everybody differently, but it's certainly not unattainable. Um, and you shouldn't, you know, just stress over will I ever find my groove because you will it just you know it's just going to take everybody a different amount of time so um you know I, I come from a project management background in my corporate days and operations and things like that and you know the the saying of 20 minutes of of planning saves hours worth of you know struggles or or cancels or delays or whatever um, I, I fully believe is true for, for looping, do your planning, do your due diligence, make sure you understand what's ahead for the next day and then just do it. It, it, you know, you've got to be flexible. That's almost, you know, a must have on the loop. If plan A and plan B don't work, you want to have a plan C, you know, being ready. So when I was single handing looping, I had to have an A, B, and C, and I had to have D, you know, in the back pocket just in case because things would always change. So, um, yeah, just be flexible. Um, you're going to have good and bad days, but, you know, enjoy them all because they all really do have meaning. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I hope we've covered this topic the way the uh, person who suggested it was expecting, because it is kind of a broad topic. Mm -hmm. But I think this was the way we felt like we could bring the most information to you. So um, hopefully that has answered questions. Um, I, I feel like we still didn't quite answer what it's like on a mm -hmm. just kind of average standard day on the loop. And that's just the hardest thing to do, because it is peaceful yeah, but you're busy yeah. <laughs> um you know you're rechecking the sources that you've checked you're keeping your eyes open for obstructions and markers and you know everything else um so you're active all day even yeah. though you're not more mentally and, active and the active is um, not physical it's it's more mental typically. yeah so um unless you're doing eight nine locks a day right it is definitely mental and you you tend to sleep better after a cruising day because <laughs> you're, you're typically uh thought out yeah so um hopefully we've done this topic justice if you have follow-up questions or follow-up topics you can send emails about those to podcast at greatloop.org and we'll do our best to answer those or address the topic in a future episode before we, we wrap up today we've been getting a lot of questions about our own loop um so we wanted to go ahead and give you an update on where that is anything to add, Michael, or you want no, me to go ahead and do this? So um, if you have followed our videos, uh, we started our Great Loop in November of 2020. Nope, sorry. Already confused. Um, we moved on board full-time in November of 2022 and went to Fort Myers, Florida for the winter. So we officially started our loop from, sorry. <laughs> oh boy. Started in November of 2021, went to Fort Myers, wintered there and then officially started our great loop in february of 2022 our plan was to return to fort myers in december of 2022 and cross my wake and finish my loop of course hurricane ian had other plans because um fort myers no longer has dockage where you can spend the winter and we were at legacy harbor last year and we were super excited about returning there because we had a great experience so um through a series of events and decisions, we are still in Panama Beach. And the first uh, decision we made when Fort Myers was off the table was to find another place to kind of do a two or three month stay in the winter, which in Southwest Florida was a challenge at that point. Um, so we decided to stay with a buddy boat that um, had also been bound for legacy and stayed in Panama City Beach. We are at um, a beautiful AGLCA sponsor marina, Point South Bay Point Marina. And it's been fabulous here. So it's a little bit like Velcro, a little, a little stuck here, but there's some good reasons. And we initially intended to stay for a couple of months. Um, I've had some a few different uh, family issues that needed to be handled. So I, th I think I counted today that I've taken four or five trips home while we've been here. Um, and also we've had a couple of AGLCA trips. So we've been busy. Um, we made some decisions to stay longer uh, for some friends that were visiting. Um, and long story short, we finally were ready to cross the Gulf about two weeks ago. And since then, the weather has been completely uncooperative. So we're sitting here getting close to April and are really want the boat back here by May 1st. Um, we are actually planning to spend the summer going back up the river system. We're going to uh, spend a few months on the Tennessee River, explore that um, and, and do some visiting with family in that area. And at this point, um, to have the boat back here before the spring rendezvous so that we can then continue up the rivers, we've only got about three weeks to do that. 
and it's a pretty costly undertaking for the fuel needed to get across the Gulf, shoot down to Fort Myers, cross my wake, and then just turn around and come back. Um, we'd literally be doing it just to check the box. And work-wise, that's a great box for me to check. Um, I'd love to finish up the route videos I've been doing for y'all. Um, and I would love to earn that gold virgie, but uh, we're taking the advice that we've given to so many other people, which is you have to make your loop your own. So rather than um, burn a lot of fuel getting there and back simply to check the box, we are going to stay put. Um, we are going to continue with the plan to head up the rivers in the summer come back down in the fall and, you know, hopefully be wintering in the south. Uh, so we'll be headed that way in the fall and I'll cross my wake then. So a little disappointing that it's worked out that it is going to be later rather than sooner. Um, but it just means we're still cruising. So I'm, I'm good with that too. It's a little bittersweet, the idea of crossing the wake. So I am uh, just thrilled that we've decided to continue cruising and, and have some plans for the summer and then cross our wake. So thank you for those of you who have asked questions about that. I know some of it um, was just out of curiosity and some of it was out of concern. Had something gone wrong? Everything is fine. Um, we are loving the lifestyle, which is part of the reason we made the choice to go back to the rivers for the summer. But that's also part of what made it seem a little bit silly to cross the Gulf just to turn around and backtrack. So that's and that, where we are. And that Gulf Coast is a coast that I really enjoy. And I'd like to spend some more time other than just racing down and racing back. So. Yeah. Um, like, like I said, it literally was to check the box. Yep. And in the end, that really doesn't make a ton of sense to us. Um, and the good news is we will have the boat at Joe Wheeler State Park again for the uh, fall rendezvous, which Michael listed was one of his best days on his first loop. And then um, from there, we'll be heading south with a bunch of other loopers. So it's, you know, a whole new fleet that yep. we'll get to cruise with. So Absolutely. that part I'm greatly looking forward to. Um, so there it is. That's the update for those of you who were curious. And thanks again for those of you who reached out to check on us. Mm -hmm. um, anything to add to all of this, Michael? Nope. All right. Well, thank you for joining me today. Appreciate the information. And thank you to everyone who's listened or watched today. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Great Loop Radio podcast. Until then, safe cruising. <laughs>